So today we are looking at another aspect of the gospel. Um, we are several weeks into uh, this, this journey of, of understanding better the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. Um, and it's, it's so exciting to me to, to get to share an aspect of the gospel that, that I've never gotten to share. Um, I did a lot of research this week and have learned a ton about shepherding and sheep. And my tendency is to want to share all of that with you, and I am not going to do that. I will save you from that. Um, but today, we're going to be looking at um, Jesus as the good shepherd and why that is good news or why that's the gospel. Um, it's, it's not hard to connect uh, the first job that God gave humanity to a type of shepherding. You see, Adam and Eve were given the job in creation to care for, to foster growth, and to grow all things in creation. And the vision God had for that was one day the entire earth, this dusty, dry, dead ball of, of, of nothing, would become this lush, green, beautiful garden and pasture land of Tove. Now we keep bringing up this, this word Tove, and it, it essentially means intense goodness. So oftentimes when you see the word good used in our English translations, um, the word Tove can be used. And in, in this scripture in John 10, the word good is literally the word Tove. So Jesus as the good shepherd, he is the Tove shepherd, or the shepherd that leads us into Tove. So we're going to be exploring um, both the shepherding aspect of Jesus' motif here, and we're going to be taking a look at our tendencies to be like sheep. So we see the, the need of the shepherd come into play when Adam and Eve lost sight of God's vision and failed at their job. So instead of leading creation to this, this um, worldly Eden, they heed the voice of the snake and wander aimlessly at him like sheep. They wander right into the slaughter. They take his lie about what God has said and, and run with it, in thinking that they would become better shepherds, knowing good and evil, they, in, in fact, make themselves sheep who are vulnerable to predators. They trade the security of God's presence and love and care for the vulnerability of being um, sheep. Sheep that, without a shepherd, can be scooped up and eaten at any moment. Sheep that don't know where the water in the green pasture are. Sheep that wander aimlessly after things that think they think will make them stronger and healthier and instead lead to death. So today I want to walk through um, three aspects of this scripture um, that I think is pertinent to the gospel. Um, the three points will be the necess necessity, excuse me, the necessity for a shepherd. We need a shepherd now because of sin and the fall. And then we're going to look at Jesus as the good shepherd. Why is he good? What makes him good?
good? What makes him different from other leaders throughout history? And then lastly, the door into the sheepfold. What's the point of Jesus' calling us to this, this, to realize the metaphor? What's the point of Jesus shepherding? So let's look at our, our scripture and then jump into our first point. So in John 10, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 18. This is Jesus talking to his disciples in a crowd as he teaches. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a, is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he, because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So Jesus is laying the, the framework of several things here. The first thing is, he's letting them know humanity needs Shepherds, shepherding. We need to be led away from our tendencies to succumb to sin. I find the most interesting part of this comparison uh, of, that Jesus makes between sheep and shepherds, the fact that sheep are naturally defenseless. I didn't know that. Like, I thought every animal had some kind of defense mechanism. But sheep are small, weaker animals uh, that really can't do much when a predator decides to eat them other than flee, and usually they're slower than whatever's chasing. Their kicks don't really inflict any kind of harm, and, uh, you know, they just become fluffy little snacks for most of the predators that reside in their area. So without a shepherd, sheep are very vulnerable. Humans, on the other hand, we're the top of the food chain, like we go to restaurants and we see sheep on page two of our favorite Greek restaurant. Like, we are not vulnerable in the same uh, ways as the sheep are vulnerable. So we have to ask the question, what is Jesus talking about here? Well, Jesus is speaking spiritually, as he usually does with his parables and his illustrations. 
So let's, let's take a deeper dive into what he, he may mean. He uses the imagery of sheep and predators to communicate our need of him. So the, one of the, the most dangerous predators in the time of, of Jesus' day for shepherds was the wolf. You see, wolves would prowl around the wilderness, as they're prone to do, and they seek out prey. And the way wolves seek prey is they stalk the prey. They learn about the prey. They, they measure where the prey are comfortable. They measure where they tend to reside, and they wait. They're cunning. So they, they might wait for uh, a couple of the sheep to continue grazing in their favorite clover patch, not noticing that the rest of the flock has meandered away a bit. And in the euphoria that these sheep have of their favorite tasty little uh, snack, the wolves do the same on the sheep. They pick them off and they, they have their own meal. You see, we're defenseless against the type of wolf as well. Sin prowls around every corner for humanity. Um, it's, in the Old Testament, it's, it's referred to as the, the crouching lion at the door. It's something that's waiting to devour us. And oftentimes we get used to its presence. It, it, it almost grooms us in a way to be comfortable with, with it um, walking around. So we're like, oh yeah, that, that wolf over there, he just, he's around. He doesn't mess with me yet, so I guess he's safe. Waiting on us to stop paying attention, waiting on weakness, waiting on um, a time when we're in desperation, and he pounces. Sin grabs us by the heart and begins to devour. But unlike the sheep, we tend to make pets of our sin. We tend to hide our tendency for weakness. We tend to let it reside feeding it little bits as it gets hungry and saying, it'll be okay. We grow numb um, to the tendency uh, of, of sin to be in our lives. We overlook um, the damage that it's doing. So without a shepherd to protect us from this wolf and without a shepherd to care for us when we're um, being attacked, we fall prey to allowing the wolf to reside in our flock and, and wreak havoc. So what are some examples of, of this wolf, this, this sin that devours our hearts? Jesus was specifically speaking of the larger culture in Rome that uh, was being um, ever, so, ever so increasing their grasp on the, the Jewish religious elite and pressuring them um, into basically becoming like Rome. Um, there was pushback from lots of groups, but um, what we see happen is when Jesus is put on trial in front of Roman officials, they, they try to wash their hands of it, but instead they bend to the, the Jewish elite and crucify Christ. Jesus know this is, knows this is coming, so he's speaking about Rome. So we could take that now to mean that one of the wolves can be considered our culture. We look around, our culture is increasingly um, taking hold of our hearts, influencing how we live, um, influencing the decisions we make. 
And oftentimes it, it's um, titled things that are, are, are less villainous, if you will. So like chasing the good life, which leads to focusing too much on accumulating things, achieving things, being known for things. This, can, this temptation of, of a good aspect of creation that has been damaged by the wolf of sin leads us to sins like greed. Leads us to overworking. Leads us to neglecting rest and worship. And eventually the expectation, either overtly or passively, of our family to do the same. And we follow that pattern. You have stress. And you have the demise of families, splits, people falling off the map because they are simply striving after things that don't bring life but take it. Then you have the over-sexualization of culture. This was happening in Rome too, but it's not hard to notice that in our culture today, every single thing is sexualized in some way. Now, one of the messages I would tend to avoid as a youth pastor is Sex is bad, because that is incorrect. Sex was given to humanity as a gift before sin ever happened. It was a, a, a way to marry, literally, a man and a wife, a man and a woman, but also serves as the relational glue that holds them together emotionally and otherwise. And it's scientifically related to a whole bunch of other things, like Stress relief, um, endorphins that cause happy feelings. These things are designed, they are good things. But like culture tends to do, it'll take a good thing and it will turn it into a wolf. So what we see here is everything is based on image. Everything is based on emotion. How does this make you feel? How do you look to others? And this leads us down a path of self-judgment. This leads us to a place where we become so self-deprecating that we are being eaten alive. This leads to our social media um, habits, a tool that's meant to bring people together and, and proclaim all the good stuff in our lives. We look at these happy posts with envy, jealousy, and ultimately resentfulness of the people that we love and should be supporting and championing the good stuff in their life. And I'm speaking all of these things from a personal standpoint. These are what I feel every single day because the wolf prowls and he seeks to devour our hearts. And we grow numb to this. So there's another villain that's a danger to um, sheep in the wilderness, and that's thieves and robbers. And there are two names here for a reason, which I found interesting. Robbers, the word uh, in the, the text that represents robbers, was a violent, um, forceful robbery. So in the wilderness or on the road to and from the pasture land, um, robbers would target any kind of traveler, especially shepherds, because they had all these sheep they had to tend to and take care of. And they would literally um, beat them up or kill them to steal their sheep and what they had. Then you have thieves. 
Thieves were more cunning, and they used stealth. They sneak into villages at night, climb over fences and gates, or break into the sheepfold and steal a couple sheep. Either of these um, uh, individuals or, or gangs, uh, neither were shepherds. They were usually people that wanted to take the sheep, butch them up, sell them, or eat them. So that, again, not giving life, but taking life. So the thieves' only concern was for themselves. Like thieves and robbers, Satan has a plan for the, the Christians who are striving to live uh, in God's um, ways. He takes a little bitty th- thread of lie and weaves it into the truth of God. Like in the garden with Eve, he takes God's words, mixes them up a bit to change the message. So what we see here is like a thief, sin will sneak into churches and the hearts of Christians and convince them that they got to be good to be loved by God. They got to follow all the rules. They got to hit the pews every Sunday. They got to do this. They got to do that. Or God doesn't love them like he might love someone else, like he might love them if they did everything perfectly right. A lot of people believe this lie. I grew up believing this lie, that thief steals the peace and joy of grace and mercy that comes through Jesus from us and destroys our love for God through trying to do the things of God. Even as a servant of the church, I have this temptation. When I was writing this sermon, I had that temptation. If I can only do my best, God will notice. And that is a lie. Here's the truth. God loves you because he loves Jesus. And Jesus has covered you through faith and repentance in his presence. So to put it shorter, you are loved by God Therefore, you want to do the things of God. You feel the grace and the mercy, and that brings you to freedom to not succumb to sin. That brings you to the freedom to live for God. That also frees you up for feeling guilty when, say, you want to go fishing on Father's Day with your son. Or frees you up when you want to not go fishing, but come to church. And that expectation of you that culture places on you, say, no, I'm going to do this because I value it, because I am a child of God. So thieves and robbers sneak in and steal. And there's one more villain, less nefarious than the others. It's the stranger's voice. These people would kind of hang around uh, the sheep pens and waiting for maybe new sheep or or sheep that aren't paying attention and try to call them away from their shepherd in order to to steal them. These voices are everywhere as well. These are the good things that we make ultimate things. Uh, Last week, Pastor David listed off a couple of things that resonate with me. My family, my children, my wife, all gifts of God that I will only experience in this lifetime in this way, I tend to make these voices that draw me away from Jesus. 
I tend to make them my shepherds. I tend to want them to be over my love for God. I want to follow their love more than I want to follow Jesus' love. This sneaks into everything. These voices are everywhere. This shows the importance of staying close with Jesus through prayer, getting in the Bible, learning how to read and how to make um, the Bible go from pages to heart, and having a community of people that walk that with you. Shameless plug, discipleship groups are all about that. We want you to be in community with people that are going through life just like you, striving after God in similar ways and maybe some different ways in being the support system for each other because it is hard to go it alone. So with all these vulnerabilities, it was necessary for sheep to have shepherds looking after them. And like sheep, we need a good shepherd to call us to him to protect us and lead us to abundant life. So every shepherd worth the salt knows all of these, these dangers and has a defense, defense for them. So the, the, the first defense is the shepherd teaches his sheep his voice. He has a, a little tune or a call that he'll sing um, when he goes to gather his sheep together in the mornings or when he's out in the flock and needs to take them back home. And the, the sheep know his voice and respond to it. What's cool about this is as new sheep come in, the shepherd takes the time and the care to teach these sheep the voice because they freak out a little when there's a transition. They're like, hey, where's everybody going? They have to learn the shepherd's voice, learn to trust it. And this is done through the patience of the shepherd and the, the example of the other sheep. They begin to notice, hey, they trust this guy. Oh, that's his call. And they put two and two together and eventually they become part of the flock. Now, side note here, one of the things that attracted me to serve here at the Grove was David's vision to be a place where people could learn at their pace the voice of God in a safe way. We want people to belong before they believe, if needed. We want people to watch Christians uh, deal with doubt, deal with hardship, worship well, and be able to ask questions about that, like how do I do that? How do you know this is Jesus' voice? And in my experience, the fastest and best way I learned Christ's voice is with Christians that knew it better than me and watching and learning from them. So I'm a huge proponent of, of discipleship groups. So I pray that every single one of you uh, ask us about getting in, in one of those. So Jesus says in the first few verses that he calls his sheep by name. And this is cool here. I liked this a lot. Um, some sheep follow the shepherd closer just naturally. Some sheep stay at the heels of the shepherd when it's time to move. They're the first to go. And shepherds will often make these sheep their pets. And they keep them forever instead of trading them or, or what have you. And they give them names, and they become part of the family. Jesus says that he calls every single one of his sheep by the name he gives them. So this imagery right here is if you have been called to Christ as a sheep, he knows your name, 
He knows your story. He knows how to care for you. He knows um, where you're prone to wander and where you're prone to stay at his heels. And he gives you everything you need for those things. You're his special sheep. Now, in America, we stop there, put a period, say, yes, individuality. But in this culture, everything was about um, the group. So he doesn't just call us to individual faith to love him and only him in our little prayer box or whatever you have. He calls us to faith individually so that we can be a part of the whole church, not just the Grove Church, not just PSL, but the global, all of history, back and forward church. There's a beauty in this call that it is both specifically to us, exactly what we need to hear, and general in its call, where we get to one day sing worship and praise God's name as the body of Christ in glory with everyone in history that Jesus ever led into his flock. That's huge. So he calls us by name. And he knows how we need to be called and when we need to be called and who needs to be a part of that call and how after that call we need to be led and cared for. So right now, if you're sitting here and you've been called and you know Christ, who in your life is being called or do you uh, pray will be called? You're part of that process. If you're in here today and you're like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I know Jesus. I don't know what I think about all this. My money's on. You're being called. You just don't know it yet. You don't know the voice yet because you're here or you're listening online. You're seeking. What you're seeking is Christ. Our hope and prayer is that through the, the elements of worship and through the people that you would see him clearly. So let it happen. Be bold. Be brave. The last part of a good shepherd, he never leaves his sheep he mentions in here about a hired hand that flees because he's like, these ain't my sheep, bye. I'm trying to get eaten by a wolf. The shepherds don't do that because they know what's riding on the safety of this flock. See, shepherds didn't watch over their sheep. Oftentimes, shepherds watched over multiple families' sheep because families were poorer and they couldn't afford a bunch of sheep. So they put their flocks together paid uh, shepherds to watch over them. So they knew if they left the sheep vulnerable or if they lost a sheep, it would impact the entire village. So they would put themselves at harm's way, even to death, to protect their flock. Now, they weren't just innocent little shepherd boys as we like to see at Christmas. Like the psalm said, your staff and your rod comforts me. The staff was meant to be a rescue tool usually a little hook. The rod, on the other hand, was like a tomahawk hammer. Oftentimes, uh, lots of leverage. On the end, it was weighted with uh, nails, sometimes even uh, sharply uh, sharpened. That's redundant. And it was used to hit predators and protect from robbers and thieves. And they had slings. And I don't know if you've ever that show on Discovery Channel where they, the Deadliest Warrior or whatever. I remember one of the episodes, this um, guy brought the ancient shepherd sling and they tested it. And it was, it was like the equivalent of a 22 caliber pistol. 
And they were accurate with it. There's the account of David taking down this literal giant special forces dude with a rock. It's one of my favorite stories to tell my children, and they love it. Because here's this shepherd boy, probably teen years. He gets mad because here's a giant making fun of his God and his nation. So he goes to the king and says, hey, what are you going to do about that guy? The king's like, we can't do anything. He's so big and so trained. David's like, well, my God's bigger, and I've killed bears with my bare hands, and I've killed lions with my staff. I've chased down predators and taken my sheep back from them because God's given me the power. That giant is no different. Let me add him. What does he take? Five smooth stones in his sling, rebukes Goliath in the name of God, and crushes his skull with that stone. Goliath falls dead. This was the proficiency that shepherds have of protecting their flock with very simple weapons and tools. But one of the coolest ones that I've learned about this time is when they're in the wilderness and they have to, to, to stay overnight. They would build these circular um, pins out of field stones and they build the walls really high where it was difficult for anything to get in there. And a lot of times they'd put uh, thorns around the circle, which is cool imagery for crown thorns, but we're not going there. And there's only one entry and exit. It was just wide enough for a few sheep to come in and out. And they, they'd place a few feet before that, that doorway a fire to cook on and for various things. But also, predators did not like the light. They didn't want to be seen. Much like sin. doesn't like to be in the light. It likes to hide in the darkness of your lives. And then they would take, if they had sheep dogs, and they would take the sheep dogs and set behind the fire and in front of them. This is cool imagery because God promises and tells us that we have a legion of angels that on our behalf is fighting the forces of evil around us. That's where we get guardian angels. It's another thing that I can't get into and I want to. But the coolest part of all is what the shepherd does. He becomes the door to the sheepfold. So he lays down across this opening and effectively becomes uh, both the security and the defense and the entryway for the sheep. So we see the door as a defense. The shepherd would probably not sleep very much. If there were multiple shepherds, I'm sure they'd take shifts or whatever. But they would lay down or they'd sit in this doorway and they would wait for the inevitable of predators. Always have their head on a swivel, right? And if there was a wolf or lion or bear that would come, they were ready. And they knew their sheep were protected behind them and they would stand in the doorway against. Jesus was using this imagery to point to what he was about to walk to under his own authority, and that's the cross. You see, the cross signifies um, the, the sin and shame, uh, the, the punishment of all those things. When Jesus hits the tree and God puts down his wrath upon him, he's bearing all of humanity's sin. Essentially, it's like an altar that the wolf is placed upon and killed. But at the same time, Jesus is becoming a sacrificial lamb to atone for 
those evils. It's beautiful imagery that's interwoven in, in, in so much of the Bible. So we see right here Jesus alluding to uh, this miraculous event where he is going to walk to his own peril in defense of his sheep and the sheep that he will one day bring to himself. Because remember, if one sheep is lost, the whole village suffers. And he's not willing to lose any sheep. So through his death, the wolf defeats him and thinks that he's defeated him for good. But from death, Jesus defeats death and has the authority given by God to take his life back. That's the resurrection. He comes back to life. And through that resurrection, we see him become a different type of door. He becomes the entryway into Tov. He becomes the, the door to abundant life. That through repentance of sin, this, I don't want this pet wolf anymore. I don't want these thieves in my life anymore. I want to follow the shepherd. Through repentance and then faith that he is good, we're given Tov. Now, in this time, we, the Tov resides in us. And then it's, it's part of our um, living to share the Tov with others. And this leads us to the vision, task, and goal in verse 16. To me, this is kind of the crooks of what everything is based on. Jesus uh, gives away a little more. He's like, this is going to be what I'm going to have, what I'm going to commission my people to do. He says in verse 16, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. That's the Great Commission. Essentially, he's telling, uh, he's preaching the good news to these, these Jewish people in Rome, but he's saying, it's not only you, but also others to come, meaning the Gentiles, meaning us, unless you're Jewish, of course, but he's meaning there are more sheep than just you that I have to go gather, and they will become a part of one flock, one church. And I will be their one shepherd. So there's a vision in this, there's a task in this, and there's a goal in this. This is where it gets applicable. This is where we can run with the ball. So the vision is, is this Eden that returns to reality, not just within the people of God, but in physicalness all over the world. God is going to redeem this earth, and all of creation will stop groaning because there will no longer be pain, suffering, sin, or death. It'll be Tov. It'll be the abundant life. It'll be Eden. And he gives us a task. He's saying, right now, if you are my sheep, that resides within you through the Holy Spirit. You have the power of Christ to take that wherever you go. You have the power to show God's Tovness through whatever you do, through the way you worship at church, through the way you invite your friends to church, through the way you uh, celebrate holidays, through the way you work through the way you study, through the way you do your hobbies, through the way you lift weights, through the way you eat, through the way you cook, through the way you raise your children, through the way you drive. Yeah. Through the way you insert here. Christians aren't just called to be Christians on a Sunday. I think more so Christians are called to be Christians Monday through Saturday because it's expected on a Sunday. Sheep aren't just sheep when they're in the wilderness. 
or sorry, sheep aren't just sheep when they're in the sheepfold. They're sheep everywhere. They follow the shepherd. They teach the other sheep to follow. So the goal of this proclamation is to live into the freedom that Christ gives you as his sheep and to go love God, love others, and help them to see that love so that they can become disciples who do the same. This is the vision for the grove. We want to see the treasure coast taken. We want to see us fall from the list that say we're in the top 10 unchurched, never been to church places in America. We want to become a part of the movement of the the flock of Jesus that makes this place once again a tove pasture. Because in the tove that's coming, there are no gates, there are no pens, there's no wilderness sheepfolds with a need to protect us because there are no wolves. There are no thieves. This is the good news of Jesus as the good shepherd. Let's live into it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your leading. We thank you for your protection. We pray that you teach us your voice more and more every day through your word, through prayer, through others in our lives. Lord, and we ask you to help us learn to teach the call of Christ through the way we live, speak, do, and love. It's an honor to to share the truths of your scripture, and I pray that things sink in where they need to, heal where they need to, and challenge where they need to. We pray all these things in the power of your spirit, in the name of your son, amen.